The following is a podcast from Live It, a ministry of St. Marcus. For more information or for message notes, go to www.liveitmke.org. The theme that we've been using each week uh, under growing maturity in Christian faith, that the, like the tagline that we've said is the book of James is a practical book of the Bible that seeks to answer the question, what would my life look like if I fully believed? Okay, there's a gap between what I know in my head and what I believe and function out of in my heart. What would it look like if I fully believed that is took the heart and put into practice the gospel of Jesus Christ? This week, James is teaching us uh, about that kind of authentic Christian faith and mature Christian faith, uh, specifically when it comes to our words in verses 1 through 12 of James chapter 3. Here's what he says. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know what we who teach, you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways, which is actually Very comforting to hear come out of James's mouth because throughout the whole, it's one of the more heavy-handed letters of the New Testament. And for James to acknowledge, yeah, none of us uh, were declared perfect for the sake of Christ, but none of us is on our own perfect. We all stumble. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, yet the whole course of his life is on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives, or can a grapevine bear figs? Well, neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. This is God's word. Uh, for every single word that Adolf Hitler wrote in his autobiographical, and bear in mind, two-volume manifesto called Mein Kampf, for every single word in that set, 125 people were murdered in World War II. Hitler had captured the imagination of a nation that was in pain, and he manipulated a lot of thoughts simply by speaking his words. Similarly, and yet very different, on the other end of the spectrum, uh, a lot of you know that within a month or so we're going to be celebrating the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, what most historians would mark as that time when Martin Luther uh, pounded on to the front door of the Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany, uh, these 95 theses by which he sought to correct the the problems within the, the, the known church at the time, the Catholic Church. 
Um, that's the reason most historians would say that you and over a half a billion other people today are sitting in the churches that you're sitting in and not in a different church. He did that all by using his words. No force, no manipulation really, just proclamation of the gospel, just his words. Words are explosively powerful, and yet one of the main uh, human errors is that we live our lives going about as though our words don't have significant impact. So James is calling us to recognize exactly that here today in chapter 3, and we're going to break it into the following points. James says that words have power. They have power to direct your lives, to direct reality. They have power to destroy things. They have power to heal things. And the only way that you turn your words into healing power as opposed to destructive power is if you submit yourself to the word incarnate, the ultimate word from God, which is Jesus himself. Okay? So first of all, words have the power to direct. Um, now, one of the things I'm going to tell you is that James uses illustrations throughout his letter, and that's never more obvious than here in chapter 3. And he uses them today almost in couplets. So for each point that I have, I'm going to give you two of the illustrations that James uses, and you'll see the commonality between them. So, he says, words have the power to direct. His illustration, bits in a horse's mouth, or a bit in a horse's mouth, I should say, and a rudder on a big ship. Now, the point of comparison is actually fairly clear here. What is he saying? You have a little thing that directs the course of something that is much larger than it. A little bit directs a much larger horse. A little rudder directs a much larger ship. And a little ton, a small, one of the smallest things in your, in your body, is one of the most powerful muscles or impactful muscles in your body. Very similarly, in the same way that bits and rudders have to counteract forces that would try to, try to drive the horse and the ship off course, uh, the bit is used to, to corral the wild nature of a stallion. The rudder is used to try to fight against the turbulent winds and the waves. The ton is the thing by which God uses for us to direct our lives and keep us on our path to eternal life. God says, your ton is the thing that I want you to use to confess your sins and confess your faith. Your ton is the thing by which you praise God and pray to God. Your ton is the thing that you use to speak in a godly manner, which is to build others up with your words, not tear others down. In fact, if you go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, if you go to Genesis 1, we learn this aspect of words because God brings the entire universe into existence simply by speaking it. So he says things like, let there be light, and there is light, and it just happens. Why? Because God's word is powerful. That teaches you God's word has the power to direct reality in life. God's word and your words have the power to direct the reality and create reality into your life. Even the secular world understands this. You go to any kind of secular counseling and one of the things that they'll use, one of the instruments in cognitive behavioral therapy is something called simple uh, positive self-talk. Why do secular therapists encourage that? Because they understand words help direct the reality and course of your life. Um, and yet, one of the interesting things is much like the bit and much like the rudder, the ton does not control itself. 
Uh, it controls something much bigger than it. It directs the course of something much bigger than it, but it is not autonomous. It, is not it does not control itself. The rider directs the bit. The pilot directs the rudder that controls the ship. And something else directs the ton, which controls the direction of your life. We heard about it in our gospel lesson earlier. In Matthew 12, Jesus talks about this and he says, the thing that will come out of your mouth is whatever overflows in your heart. Whatever is the reality that is at the core of the existence of your heart, that is going to be the thing that just naturally comes out of your mouth. So for instance, if at the core of your existence, the very most important thing in your life, in your heart, is the desire to be admired by other people, you know how that's going to impact your words? One of the temptations you're going to experience is you're going to be tempted to tear others down with your words because you want to be the one who's admired. Uh, by comparison, you will tear others down. Or if at the center of your existence is the desire to be approved and accepted by others, one of the things you'll do with your words is you, you won't ever contradict anybody. You won't ever speak uh, potentially harsh truth into somebody else's life. Why? Because you want them to accept you and therefore you will never do anything by which they might reject you. If at the, this one's easier. If at the center of your heart is a desire for money, let's say you work in the business world, you're probably going to do things like oversell your products and services as though they are the solution to everybody else's life problems. Because your main goal is to get what's at the center of your heart and you'll use your words to do so. If anything other than Jesus Christ is the fundamental uh, ex experiential center of, your, of yourself, your words are not going to be as truthful or as loving as they otherwise should be. But the opposite is also true. If Jesus is in fact at the center of your heart, it flavors every single one of your words in your life with grace. So for instance, just take for an, uh, your, your witness to other people out there in the world. Uh, back in the mid-1800s, there's a story of a guy by the name of Richard Kimball who went into a shoe store one day and he started asking a young man by the name of Dwight Moody if he understood how much God loved him. Very awkward way to start up a conversation, potentially. But he didn't care, he did it. He knew how much God loved that young man, so he started talking to him about it. You know what happened next? My guess next is they started just keep shopping for shoes because I don't think anything big happened then. But years later what happened is Dwight Moody became one of the most influential Christian evangelists of all time. This is the reason why you can't go into a Christian bookstore today and open more than four or five books without looking at the bottom of the publisher and it says Moody Bible Institute. Why? Because a Christian Sunday school teacher had the guts to strike up a conversation about Jesus with a guy that he didn't even know in a shoe store one day. And it forever directed and changed the course of his life and the life of every single person that his enormous ministry has impacted throughout the course of the years. Words have the power to direct the reality of your existence. Number two, words have power to destroy. The two points of illustration that James gives here is he uses a, a little spark of fire and he uses venom, poison, like from a snake. And again, the point of comparison here is, I think, pretty obvious. A spark can bring down an entire forest. Um, a little venom can bring, down a much, uh, can bring down a much larger animal. 
Um, in the evening of October 8, 1871, this is the story anyways, this is the legend, on the O'Leary Farm in Chicago, um, a cow knocked over a lantern and the barn. And since the city of Chicago was mostly built of wood at the time, the fire spread instantaneously. And within a matter of a couple of days, you had hundreds of people who were dead, over 100,000 people who were now homeless, 18,000 buildings that had burned down, and according to estimates, over a half a billion dollars worth of damage in 1871. The city of Chicago was almost completely wiped off the map, all because one stupid cow was not watching where it was walking. But it isn't just the cow's fault, that's the power of fire. It spreads quickly, it can do great damage, and the exact same thing is true when it comes to something like venom. Just a little snake, just a little uh, scorpion, or a little spider, or something like that. And so what James is suggesting to us here is, if I were to release a king cobra down the aisle into the sanctuary today, I'm assuming that would make a number of people fairly uncomfortable. But James is saying, oh man, it would be much healthier for this congregation if I would release a king cobra into the, the congregation than to release one liar or one gossip or one slanderer or one false teacher or one person who simply uses their words in an ungodly way to tear others down rather than build others up. When you were a kid, you heard people say things like, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is completely false. It's a complete lie. It sounds nice, it sounds empowering, and yeah, I get the fact that, that stones can break bones better than words can. The thing about words is it can go places that sticks and stones can't go. Words can penetrate into your self of, sense of self, your self-regard. They can penetrate deep down into your soul. Uh, unfiltered words can launch wars. In fact, let me, let me say this. I've done a significant amount of I've, pastoral counseling over the course of 10 years. I have very rarely done any counseling for an individual uh, after they have had, um, say for instance, a, a physical wound because somebody else has hurt them, and now I'm counseling them back from that. On the other hand, I would say probably a majority of counseling that I do involves somebody who can recount for me something that somebody they cared about deeply unloving that they had said in the past to them. So I'm counseling with the perfectionist, and they will tell me about somebody else they cared about who just told them they just weren't good enough. Or I'm counseling with the anorexic, and she's telling me about somebody in the past who told me she wasn't pretty enough or wasn't thin enough. Or I'm counseling with uh, the, the atheist who will, almost without fail, tell me a time when a Christian said something very unchristlike to them. You've got to realize in a land of free speech where people are constantly trumpeting their rights to say whatever they want, a Christian has to intentionally and consciously bite their tongues sometimes. We don't just say whatever we want. We say what glorifies God. I like to think I, ever since I got a Facebook and Twitter account, my Facebook, my social media accounts are 10 times less funny than they would be if I wasn't a pastor. I constantly can think of things that I want to say online in regard to a number of jokes that I want to make, but I don't do it. I don't do it for the sake of the gospel. 
And I'll tell you what, this is a very big change for me. If I go back 15 years, thank goodness social media was not a thing at that time because me, at that point in history, anything that was worthy of a laugh was worth saying. And I figured out that, you know, I would, I would say whatever I wanted and then afterwards I'd make fun of somebody either to their face or whatever and then I would just say, just kidding. As though that just sucked all the poison out of what I had just said. I came to realize that uh, just kidding didn't actually take any of the hurt away. And I was actually hurting people with my words. And furthermore, I was hurting Christ's name with my words. And I realized at some point in time, it just wasn't worth it. Words have the power to destroy things. That's not what God intends for our words to be. He intends for our words to heal people. So James here uses the uh, illustration of a fountain, and he uses the illustration of a tree. Both provide refreshment. There's nothing more refreshing than like a cold drink of water on a hot day, uh, or even just the cleansing nature of water is refreshing. Or for trees, the nourishment of fruit or the relaxation of shade. God designs that if you are rooted in the Lord, he designs for your words to have a healing effect on other people. Consequently, when you speak to them, you'll refresh them because you will encourage people when they're down, you will welcome people when they're lonely, you will correct people when they are misled, you will guide people when they're confused, you will forgive people when they are guilty and repentant, and you will build people up when they need hope. One of the most powerful things that I've ever had said to me was actually said by somebody that I completely did not respect. It was a coach that I had once upon a time. I did not like the man. Um, and actually, I've shared with many of you before that my senior year of high school was one of the worst in my life. It was a massive period of, of crippling depression for me, and yet I hit it. I hit it so well, nobody knew. Nobody knew. And uh, I hit it so well that I was asked to give the pep rally speech at homecoming my senior year. Now, I'm not even going to get into the irony of asking a super depressed 17-year-old to give a pep rally speech at homecoming, but let's just say I had to fake it hard. And I did. And it actually went pretty well. And afterwards, I just so, ha so happened to be talking to that coach in a hallway. Uh, and it was kind of an awkward conversation that we had before one of our classes or something like that. And he was asking me uh, about where, what my school plans were and what career path I was going to go into and that sort of thing. And I told him what my tentative plans were, although nothing was set in stone. And uh, he was there at that pep rally, and he looked at me, and you know what he said? It, this, is, this is how dismissive his style of communication was. After I told him what my tentative plans were, he said, no. He said, no. He said, you're going to be a pastor. You're a pretty good public speaker. Now, this is the same guy who had grabbed hold of me by the face mask and berated me for what felt like an eternity in front of all my peers. It was probably like five minutes, but uh, he literally said words like worthless and how disappointed he was. And now he says, one little compliment. And I can't even tell you how affirming and how healing it was. That it's like it redirected the entire course of my life at that time. And, and by now, you know what? I'm at the point where I look back and I, 
I thank God for both, in some respects, the lack of kindness that that man showed me and for the rare kindness that the guy showed me because I think God used both to direct my life. God might use a couple simple words that you speak to somebody to heal their heart, direct the entire path of their eternity. So be careful how you use your words. Use your words to heal people and use, use your words to guide people to their heavenly home. The way that I know best that words are used to heal is because the thing that brought the most significant healing to planet Earth was the word incarnate, Jesus Christ. I'm hoping at this point that you've recognized the enormous power attached to words, but that words can either be used for evil or they can be used for good. They can be used for worldly glory or they can be used for God's glory. And that message is consistent throughout all of Scripture. You look at the passages about words in the Bible, even the, uh, the, the narratives. Go back to Genesis 11 in the Tower of Babel, and one of the things that you find is people's words were on fire with pride and with evil, and so God has to come and humble them and scramble those words. And you fast forward to the New Testament in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. God sets the disciples' words, in essence, on fire so that as they speak, 3,000 people come to faith and are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ at that day. What you learn throughout Scripture is that your words are con constantly on fire. The only thing, you can't choose for them not to be on fire, they will be on fire. The only thing you can choose is whether or not you let those wor words and that fire run wild or you allow that fire to be tamed by Jesus and therefore used for good. So how do you get your words, your heart, tamed by Jesus? Here's how it happens. This is the only way it happens. You have to recognize that Jesus was the ultimate good word when he died for us on the cross. And here's what I mean. When Jesus Christ was on the cross suffering for our sins, he cried out to his heavenly Father. And you know what he heard back in return? Nothing. Complete and utter silence. It's been interesting to me. I've only figured this out in recent years. That you know that one of the most painful tortures that we do to prisoners today is it's something called solitary confinement where you get cut off from words. You don't get to speak to anybody and nobody else gets to speak to you and you know what? It actually drives people psychologically insane sometimes. Why? Because apparently the way God created us, we need words like we need food and like we need air. So on the cross, when Jesus paid for our sins and cried out to his heavenly Father, in return, what he got was cosmic solitary confinement. Silence from God. Jesus got the silence that we deserved. Why? So that you and I could get the word of approval from our heavenly Father that we've been longing for our entire lives. You see, one of the things that you notice in the Gospels is that on multiple occasions, God the Father speaks down from heaven over his Son, and what does he say about him each time? This is my son. I love him. With him I am well pleased. He was a proud father. And what Jesus did is he took that perfect life that his father was so proud of and he marched it all the way to the cross and he died for our sins and switched places with us. And when you believe in Jesus Christ, you get adopted into God's family. Regardless of who you are or regardless of what you've done, the Heavenly Father now looks at you through the lens of Jesus and says, this is my child. I love him. I love her. I'm so pleased with him. 
I am so pleased with her. Now, I'll tell you what, if that is the truth that is at the center of your heart, it will not make a difference what your father or mother at one time in the past said to you, what your, your child who has run away has said to you, what an ex-boyfriend or girlfriend has said to you, what a coach in high school has said to you, or any other negative word anybody else has spoken to you. If that is the truth, the word of approval from the Heavenly Father that is at the center of your existence, none of that matters. The only thing that matters is that Jesus took the silence we deserve so that we could get the Heavenly Father's ultimate word of approval, the only opinion in all the cosmos that will ever matter. That is alone the thing that will heal your heart. That also is alone the thing that will heal your word. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, tonight we come humbling ourselves and confessing that often our words reflect the patterns of this world. Uh, every one of us um, has been guilty of letting things slip. It just seems so easy and mindless and effortless. It actually takes a great deal of concentration and courage to guard our tongues and bite our tongues. But we will do it to your glory. We will bite our tongues till our tongues bleed. Because, Lord Jesus, you are the one who bled to make us holy before God. And now as redeemed children, we want, our use, we want to use our words to heal. We want to use our words in godly ways to build up, not tear down. We ask that you fill us with your spirit, that we might do exactly that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.